Well, I'm excited to kick off the semester. Um, I was thinking about this. Have you guys ever had a time where you heard somebody like a stranger describe somebody that you knew super, super well? And they described them and they didn't know them very well and they didn't know you knew them. So it just was awkward. This kind of happened to me um, online, actually. My older sister um, has written a couple of books. And so I was on Facebook and I know none of you guys have gotten to like a wormhole on social media. But somehow I got onto this thread where somebody was explaining to somebody else who my my sister is and like what she writes about and I could I did not know this person but they were sharing these facts about her and they were they weren't wrong but it was just really weird because I know my sister I think better than they do because I don't even know them but it just was strange to hear like somebody describe somebody you know so personally from like such a like back standing back situation right they didn't know her personally they're just sharing facts that they knew about her but I know her personally so it just felt really strange and sometimes like knowing like when it's different to know about somebody than it is to actually know them personally and so we're starting off this series in Chi Alpha called the Trinity and my heart and my prayer behind the series, so it's all about God and who he is, is that you walk away from this not just knowing more facts about God, but actually knowing him personally, because it's so, so different. So we're going to kick off the series on the Trinity. So the Trinity is a term that we actually don't find in the Bible, but it is a very biblical concept. So if you go looking through your Bible for the word Trinity, you're not going to find it. And I am sorry to disappoint you, but it is a biblical concept. So the Trinity it consists of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're all the God that we serve, but we don't serve multiple gods. I want to clarify that. The Trinity is a very interesting and difficult concept to like, get your brain around, but we don't, we are not like polytheistic where we serve multiple gods. The Bible actually says, like, God actually declares in the Bible, I am the Lord your God, and I am one. He is one God, but he has three different persons. The Trinity is actually introduced in the Bible right in the beginning of Genesis, in chapter 1, verse 1. And it says in Genesis 1, 1, it says, the beginning, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the word for God that is used there is the word Elohim. And Elohim is a plural form of God which literally means like God and implies three or more. And so there's this concept that's written into the word of God from the very beginning that God has more than one person attached to him. So Jesus actually further talks about the Trinity and confirms who's the members of it in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 and 20. And if we're not going to like dive deep into the Trinity at Chi Alpha, we're going to drive into the three people and three members of the Trinity. But if you have more questions about it, we'd love to chat about it. So I'm just going to throw that out there. So Matthew 28 verses 18 through 20 says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus is declaring that the Trinity in that sense is made up of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which is pretty awesome. So what are the roles of the Trinity? The roles of the Trinity is, first of all, Jesus, that he provides complete forgiveness for us. The Holy Spirit supernaturally empowers us to be a witness. So Jesus forgives, the Holy Spirit empowers, and then the Father is the source of our identity as his sons and daughters. So tonight, we're going to focus on God being our Father and what that actually means. So we are going to first talk about how God moves towards us in relationship, how we often move away from him when he moves towards us, and finally, how we can move back towards him. The Father wants us to experience his love on a heart level rather than knowing about it on an intellectual level. And that is my prayer for you tonight, that you will experience God, the Father's love for you on a heart level. So the first thing is the Father moves towards us. What does that actually mean? So God chooses us as his children, which is actually a really profound thing that we weren't just like begot of God and he didn't have a choice in it. We, he chose us as his children and the gospel of John. So out of all of the gospels in the new Testament, John actually emphasizes the personal relationship that Jesus had with his father above all of the rest of them. So John chapter 1 verse 12 says but to all or yeah but to all who did receive him who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God. It's talking about Jesus. So if we receive Jesus and we believe in his name, we believe that he died on the cross for our sins, we actually are given the right to become children of God. And that's good news. So we aren't just saved, we're adopted into the family of God at that point. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, see what, it says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is it did not know him. The love of the Father has been given to each and every one of you so that you might be called a child of God. God adopted us, which is such an cool, like such an incredible, cool concept in the New Testament. A few more verses, because I want you guys to know like how grounded in scripture this is. The Galatians chapter four, verses four through seven says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those under the law. That's us that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Abba is a Hebrew term for daddy. It's like a very endearing term. It's so we're not just like formally calling him father. At this point, you're at the like relationship with your dad that you could like call him daddy. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. 
And in Romans 8, it also talks about how for those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God, and the Spirit you receive does not make you a slave, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. So there's this concept all over scripture. And the reason I'm using so many scriptures is because our brains sometimes want to like cheat us out of like, well, that's just like one verse. Like, what is it? Does that actually mean that I am a child of God? Or we like try to like convince ourselves that this isn't true for us. But it's written all over scripture that you are a child of God when you accept Jesus Christ. And that doesn't mean that you're a slave to God. It means you're his child, your family. And that's different, isn't it? And when we have a connection with the Father, we actually start hearing his voice, and he starts giving us direction for our life. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So why, then, is our response often to move away from the Father when he moves towards us in that kind of love? So he moves towards us, but oftentimes we move away from him. And often this is because we have misconceptions about who he is. And misconceptions are often just brought about by lies or maybe misunderstandings. When I was really young, has anyone ever seen the movie Parent Trap or know what that movie is? I hope so. So I remember, now this is not the new version of Parent Trap that I am about to tell you about. It's the old version, which I'm dating myself now. But I remember my brother bringing it home from the library and saying, like grabbing my twin sister and I were like, we're going to watch Parent Trap tonight. And I was so excited because I thought he said Parrot Trap. And I was an animal lover. And so I was pumped. I'm about to watch a movie about parrots. And I guess I didn't think through that they're getting trapped because that's now concerning to me as I tell you this story. But I, was, I wasn't a fan of that part of it, obviously. But I was so excited. I was about to watch an animal movie. So we're watching. And there is nothing about parrots in this movie. And if you don't know, just go watch it. It's great. And there, but there's this one scene, probably about 40 minutes into the movie, where they make this birdcage out of popsicle sticks at summer camp. And I literally remember thinking, oh, it's getting good. The parrots are coming. There were no parrots. We ended the movie and I was really disappointed. I was like, well, it's fine. The movie was good, but there, there was no parrots. And then my siblings are looking at me like, what are you talking about? I read the cover and it's parent trap. And it just makes so much more sense. I had such a crazy misconception about this movie that I was really disappointed when it wasn't right. But that was on me. No one said parrot. That's just what I heard. But we often have misconceptions about God that actually stop us from interacting in true freedom as his children. We act like a slave because we don't realize we're a child. We don't interact with God, the Father, often as he really is. We interact with our conception of him. So tonight, as we move into a few examples of this, I want you to think to yourself, how do I actually picture God? So one of the ways that we, or misconceptions we have about God is that he's a cosmic killjoy. That he's like a no fun allowed kind of God. 
Do you feel like God is taking your joy? Have you ever thought or said to someone like, well, if I surrender to God, he'll take everything fun and good from my life? Or do you feel like maybe you're a puppet to God, and if you give him your life, he's just going to control you? The Old Testament is full of different names of God, and they're all in Hebrew, so I practiced how to say them, and if I say them incorrectly, it's not my fault. It's Pastor Paul on YouTube who taught me. But the first one that I thought of that counteracts and shows you who the true God is and that he's not a cosmic killjoy is his name Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord shall provide or God my provider. He isn't a God that takes and takes and takes. He actually reshapes your life and gives you desires. Like he fulfills desires in your life. That's what Proverbs says. He is a provider. And when if our view is that he's just here to kill your joy and take from you, we'll never be able to relate to him as a child. The next misconception is that he's Santa Claus. And I don't mean that we think God is just like, a gift giver and nothing bad ever happens if you serve him. I mean, that could be your misconception. But even more often is, do you feel like you have to perform to be accepted by him? Like you think that God has a nice and naughty list. And if you do enough good things, you'll make it on the nice list and you'll get good things from him. Or you do enough bad things, you get on the naughty list and he's going to give you just a lump of coal. Have you ever thought, in order for God to love me, I must do this? If I'm not good, then God will give me something bad in return. Or, I've been good. Why did God let this bad thing happen? God is not Santa Claus. His name in the Old Testament is Jehovah Rohi, which is the Lord is my shepherd. And a good shepherd cares for his sheep regardless of the sheep. His sheep can be stupid sometimes. If you've ever been around sheep, you know that this is true. But his care is based on his character, not on the character of the sheep. God cannot act outside of his character. And if his character is a good father that loves you, he can't act on loving to you. And sometimes we have a misconception of his character. It's kind of like me. I've had this propensity lately to be chased by moose. And I realized in the last, I think, three years, I have been chased by four moose. And it's getting out of hand. So this just happened last week. I think it was on Saturday. I got charged by another moose. And I am not aggravating them. I promise you. Like, I have a deep respect for the moose especially after getting chased around a tree by one. Deep respect. But today, we reached a new level. I'm driving to work, and all of a sudden, like, you know when something jumps out at you? It wasn't in front of me. It was trying to, this moose was trying to climb down this big snowbank, and I think it must have tripped. And all of a sudden, I'm driving, and he's right there in my passenger window. And I screamed at the top of my lungs, it scared me. We're like eye contact with each other. The moose tried to kill me. He just tried to run into me. It's getting out of hand. And if my misconception of moose is 
that like they're just evil animals that have it out for me personally like I am starting to think that but I know that that's not true but moose actually do have to act within their character don't they they protect their babies they protect themselves they don't like dogs and they apparently can go down snow drifts they have to act within their character and I know that's a crazy weird example but how crazy would it be for me to start believing that every moose is out for me? That it's, my, it's like something with me. But that's what happens when we feel like God has this like performance sheet. And it's like my ability to control his goodness. When in fact, his character is good regardless of my goodness. I love this phrase. Um, I heard one of my heroes of the faith, Dick Schroeder, say this. Is that our evil cannot diminish his love and our goodness cannot increase it. The Father's love remains constant. If God's love is infinite, then it can't decrease or increase because it's infinite. So I want you to go from earning the Father's love to learning the Father's love. The next misconception is that God is distant or disinterested. So do you think that God is absent or disinterested in your life? Have you thought, why would I even pray about this? God wouldn't care. One of my favorite names for God is El Roy, which means the Lord sees me. God sees you when nobody else can see you. When you feel passed up by everybody else in your life, when you feel like everybody else is getting good things except for you, God sees you. It's in his character. Jehovah Shema is the Lord who is there. He is an ever-present help in time of need, as the Bible says. David, who wrote most of Psalms, says that there's nowhere that he could go where God's presence wouldn't be. He is there. The next one is that God is a perfectionist or a fault finder. Do you feel like you try and try, but God will never, ever be pleased with you? That God is only interested in your performance, and you're never good enough. Jehovah, Kadesh, I'm not kidding, that's how I was told to say it. The Lord who sanctifies. In Leviticus, which is a book that basically has all of the laws that the Israelites were given, so you would think it's like a very condemning book. God actually says in chapter 20, verse 8, Keep my decrees and follow them. I am the Lord who makes you holy. So what that means is your ability to follow decrees or like commands isn't what makes you holy. It's God who makes you holy. You just have to follow him. And that's relieving for me. Jehovah Rapha says the God who heals. And that means physical healing, but it also is much more than that. It means to mend or repair or restore something to its normal and useful state, to fix what is broken. God's love doesn't just keep this record of wrongs. In 1 John, it says that God is love. And in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, it says that love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. So if God is love and love doesn't keep a record of wrongs, then God doesn't keep this infinite list of records of wrongs of you. He's not this perfectionist that is like tallying up everything that you've done and watching you make mistakes. 
and trying to make you earn his love. He's your father. The last one is that he's an angry judge. Do you feel like there's a lingering sense of shame that God is ashamed of you? Like, why would he even want you to be a member of his family? He's just ashamed to be here with you. I remember when I was a kid, I like am a rule follower. And I remember I shared a a room with my twin sister. And there was this one night because we like talked a lot when we were supposed to be quiet. And we're a little naughty. And my dad was like, listen, when the lights go out, you cannot make a noise. He's like trying to prove a point, right? Well, the lights go out and I like made a noise. I was like so condemned. I was like, dad is going to be so disappointed in me. It's so ashamed of me, which is like not okay, right? So then I go down and I, I apologize to him. And he was like, you're, you're okay. Just go back and go to sleep. I'm like laying there in bed. And I think I just made like a weird noise with my, like my mouth. Like you just roll over. And I felt so guilty again. So I went downstairs and my dad was on the phone. So I couldn't apologize to him. And I remember my older sister saying like, what are you doing awake? And I was like, oh, I made another noise. Just distraught. And she was like, you're fine. You didn't try to. Just go to bed. Dad's not going to be mad at you. And I realized, like, looking back at that, I was looking at my father like he was this angry judge that I just, like, was always ashamed of me. But the Bible says that the Father God is Jehovah Siknu, the Lord who is righteous. He is not vengeful or unrighteous. He's actually perfectly kindly and justly interacts with us. In Romans 2, 4, it says, Or do you not, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that it's God's kindness that is intended to lead you to repentance? God's kindness leads us to repentance, not his wrath. He wants you to bring you from just the title of a child to becoming a child and acting like a child. His kindness leads you to repentance. So how, if you have these misconceptions of God, how do you move forward? So we're going to talk about like how to actually move forward towards the Father. And oftentimes our misconceptions can be based off of a poor experience with an earthly father. And so I want you to hear that if that's been your experience, that God has redemption and that he is the perfect father. That his heart, like he sees you and he sees your bad experience and he sees your brokenness and he's the God that heals. He's the God that's restored, like he restores and fix what's broken. God sees you. And so if you're hearing this and you're like, this is great, I could believe this if I didn't have such a terrible example, God sees you and he wants to restore. So everything in the kingdom of God is done on a basis of love and trust. But everything in the world, like as the devil being in charge of things, is based on threats, bribes, and shame. So the devil communicates with threats, bribes, and shame, and that's how he motivates you. 
but God communicates and does things on a basis of love and trust. So we get to serve him out of a deep security of his love, not out of a threat or a bribe. The Father is not, his love is not dependent on us or our performance. In Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, it says, At the time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Jesus, just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And the voice came from heaven, You are my Son, who I loved, and I am well pleased. The most interesting thing about this verse is that God said this about his son before Jesus had done anything for the kingdom. Like he hadn't done any miracles. He hadn't fought like any disciples following him. But God proclaimed from the beginning, you are my son. I love you and I'm pleased with you. And that's God's message for you. Before you can do any good work, to try to earn his love, he loves you and he's pleased with you. You are his child. And because of that, there was freedom and a trust that Jesus had with the Father that he was able to follow his commands and go into the wilderness and be tempted by Satan and overcome it. Because Not because he was trying to earn God's approval, but because he was responding to his approval. Jesus wasn't buying the Father's love or even earning it. He was just responding in freedom of a child. I remember my dad taking me out for coffee one time. We like ran some errands and they wanted to treat me. And I remember distinctly this moment where he said to me, Aaron, I really love you. I was like, oh, thanks, Dad. And then he said, but I actually, I also like you. And there was like, like this profound experience where I realized that like my dad had to love me because he's my dad, but he actually liked being around me. And that's different. And it was like this moment where I look back on that and I'm like, that's how God interacts with us. Like he doesn't just love us because he has to, because he's God. He actually delights in you. He likes you. In the New Testament, which is written in Greek, there's two different, or there's multiple different words for love, but the two that we're going to talk about as we close tonight is phileo love versus agape love. So phileo love is a response or a, a feeling, a two-way feeling of pleasure or delight. So this is found, used for God delighting in his son. In John chapter 5, verse 20, it says, For the father phileo, the son, and shows him all he does. He, yes, and he will show him even greater works than this, so that you will be amazed. So God the Father delighted in his son. He didn't just love him because he had to. He flailed him. That sounds really weird. Um, he delighted in him. And now this is a response that we can have to God. In John 16, 27, it says, No, the Father himself loves you, phileo, because you have loved phileo, me, and believe that I came from God. So because we delight in Jesus, the Father also delights in us because we become children of God. He doesn't just love you out of force. He loves you because he delights in you. And agape love is God's unconditional, sacrificial, and perfect love. It is a love that chooses to love without conditions. 
So God agape loved us in John 3, 16, where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And we get to agape love God in John 14, 15, where it says, If you love me, you keep my commands. We don't obey God because of a feeling that we get, which is the phileo love. We obey him because we choose sacrificial love. And we sacrifice maybe some of our ideas or desires to obey him. But everything that we do with the Father, moving towards him, is a response to his love that he first showed us. That while you were sinners, Christ died for you. We're going to close with this story, and then we're going to have some reflection time. My dad, I remember when I was in college, I was taking this writing class, and I had to write like a feature article on someone. And for some reason, I chose my dad because he's like one of my heroes. He's pretty awesome. And so I knew that he had a really interesting backstory. And so I got, he like agreed for me to interview him about his whole life for a school project. And it was actually really insightful because I had never asked him a ton of questions about his upbringing. I knew that his father had passed away when he was six years old and his mom never remarried, but that was about it. And so I got to interview him about like how hard this was for him and to grow up without a dad. And it was very sobering, but it was also so cool because I remember asking him, well, dad, like you aren't perfect, but you were a pretty good dad to me. How did you learn to be a father if you didn't have one? And I remember him saying, like, and talking about the redemption that God brought into his life when he became a Christian and became a child of God, that God actually taught him how to be a good father. And it was such like an eye-opening moment for when you actually move forward towards God and his love, the redemption that he can bring to your life. And so if you have had an experience, you're like this, like I said, like God isn't, I I have trouble seeing God as a good father. Like the word father feels very difficult for me. God, as you walk in, in faith as his child and move forward towards his love, is going to redeem you. If we could play some of that piano music, I'm going to put these questions or these misconceptions up on the screen. Not me. Kayla's going to do it. She's back there. And I'm going to give us a chance before we close formally for you guys, because this is some heavy stuff, right? Sometimes noticing lies that you believe or misconceptions that you believe can be really difficult. And so I'm going to give you guys a time to reflect on these questions or these statements and ask God, which one have I been believing about you? What are some hurts maybe that have been in my life that I am believing incorrectly about you? And I just want you to spend time praying when that verse says that those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're a child of God, which means you can be led by his Spirit. And I just believe that tonight the Holy Spirit is going to mend some things in your heart and adjust some misconceptions that you have about God as a father. So we're going to spend a little time in prayer over these and then... um, I will come back up and we'll close in worship. I'm going to pray over us as we start this. 
Lord, I just thank you so much that you are a good father. Lord, despite our relationships with our fathers or our experiences that maybe make us feel shame to be with you or whatever misconception we have, God, I just pray that tonight you would show our, your true character to each person in this room. Lord, that you would remove any lies that they're believing and that you would set people free so they don't feel like they're a slave to you any longer, God, but they feel like they are an actual child of you and that you are a good father. I just pray that you would help us as we process this and just reveal truth to us tonight. In your name, amen.